1: Hello, everyone. I'm George Rosca. And I'm Mark Schneider. And we want to welcome you to today's episode 112 of Say What, where we talk about the threats to our children in the public school system, including the impact of the transgender tsunami that is crashing on the shores of every public and private institution of America.
2: That's right, George. You know, the topic of transgenderism is the hottest of hot button issues today. The L, G, and B have quickly lost their publicity ratings and succumbed to an ever-increasing and tyrannically despotic nature of the T, which stands for transgender. It seems like everyone is bowing down to the transgender uh, whole ideology today. And George, really, Recently, you had occasion to attend a conference that um, you took away so much information from uh, that you're going to report on today. We'd love to hear about that.
1: Yeah, Mark. uh, Together with POK, we attended as a sponsor of the Christian Medical and Dental Association. It was their annual conference um, held at the end of April in Cincinnati, Ohio and they had a just amazing lineup of speakers breakout sessions but one of those breakout sessions which which happened over two parts uh was one that was presented by Dr Andre van Moll. and uh, we've been connected with him for the last 4 years he's he's helped us on um a, a lot of other fact finding missions that that we've undertaken at POK but in this 2 hour session it was you know 1 hour each well his session was supposed to be in a in a breakout room, uh which is probably giving you about a hundred maybe a hundred fifty chairs max. Well, I think the organizers caught word from a lot of the the people in attendance that they were going to go and attend that breakout session specifically, so they ended up moving his presentation into the large auditorium um and and I was there for both sessions mark there was Easily over fifty percent full, which tells me that there was over five hundred doctors that just like me, and I'm not a doctor, I was just there in attendance. We were all drinking out of the fire hose because Doctor Andre Van Moel had seventy eight pages worth of notes that he had up on his screen, and he was scrolling down and just spit firing all of this data and information and research that we have to be aware of and Mm. understand. Mark, he had 370 footnotes in 78. pages. (laughs) pages.
2: <laughs> Which is characteristic of uh, Dr. Andre Van Moel. We've seen his reports before, and I think, George, we have a copy of, of this report, or can we get access to it if we don't?
1: Yes, we do. We have a full copy of those 78 pages, Mark, and um, we're going to be sharing just some snippets. Uh, this will be part one, uh, where just as a you know regular parent in attendance, this is what I was able to understand and, and catch from. And so here's just a quick summary of the the highlights that we're going to be talking about first of all the fact that gender dysphoria is a diagnosis whereas transgenderism is an ideology yes so we have the natural course of gender dysphoria is desistance by adulthood conservatively in 85 percent of people uh, unless it is affirmed and that's where we start to see other things happening.
2: And before we go on, George, just to make sure we understand our terms here, desistance means it will stop. This identification with a gender that is not in accord with your biology will go away if, if left to its own devices.
1: The other point here is that gender dysphoria carries the overwhelming probability of underlying mental health issues, adverse childhood experiences, autism spectrum disorder, and troubled family dynamics.
2: Now, nobody likes to hear this, but it happens to be a medical fact based on research data. So gender dysphoria uh, from the report, it, it doesn't exist in and of itself. It's almost always attached to one of these other factors. Isn't that true?
1: Exactly, Mark. And just on this bullet point alone, there are five footnotes <laughs> with links to five detailed studies on this topic. Uh, The other major summary point is that the probability of both desistance and underlying mental health and family issues is why watchful waiting with mental health evaluation and support for both patient and family has been the standard of care for minors with gender dysphoria in just about our entire history, except for the last 10 years. And also what was very, um, very good to hear is that there is now international pushback in the scientific, judicial, and legislative realms uh, that is arising against transition-affirming medical interventions in minors. Transition affirmation is not proven to be safe or effective long-term, does not reduce suicides, and does not repair mental health issues and trauma. So there is always a more honest way to deal with gender confusion than chemical sterilization and surgical mutilation of healthy young bodies. And uh, over and over and over, you're going to hear from the data that we present uh, that 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 is the case. But Mark, one of the most stunning things that I heard in the 78 pages of notes that were presented was this whole idea here that faith is not the bad guy.
2: What do you mean by that?
1: So, over and over, and I, I hear this all the time, even at school board meetings, um, is that, you know, the, the religious fanatics, those Christians, uh, those Protestants, you know, they, they are the ones uh, that are causing, um, you know, all of this stuff to happen because they're not affirming the LGBT community. And it is people like us uh, that are causing this spike in suicide within the LGBT community and, and so forth and so on. But that is not supported by the evidence. And we have studies that actually prove this. In fact, a 2017 study of sexual minorities found uh, that surprisingly no significant differences are found between mainline Protestants, whose church doctrine often accepts same-sex relations, and evangelical Protestants, whose church doctrine often condemns same-sex relationships and this contradicts what is known as the minority stress theory. Uh, also noted, LGBT individuals who identify as catholic, agnostic or atheist or with no particular religious affiliation report lower levels of happiness compared to mainline protestants. Uh, however, you know, catholics were were lumped into this. In fact, furthermore, even Glesson or Gelson, the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network, in 2017, in their National School Climate Survey, they found that religious schools without LGBTQ-affirming curricula policies, administrators, teachers, textbooks, clubs, library resources, etc., were among the safest schools for sexual minority students. Interesting. They had fewer anti-LGBT student comments and the least victimization and bullying of any schools, even less than in private secular schools who are using the recommended affirmation methods.
2: George, this is say what? This is not what we hear from our opponents who are all about uh, pressing gender affirming care and uh, hormone blockers and things like that. All we hear is is that if you don't identify and support uh, a person's gender dysphoria, they're going to be on the road to suicide. But this report suggests something completely in opposite to that.
1: It definitely does. And so, in fact, I I want to touch upon a little more about this stigma minority stress theory, uh, which does not explain for poor LGBT behavior statistics. A 2016 study examined 40 years of data in children referred for gender dysphoria and found once we controlled for general behavior problems, poor peer relations, ostracism, stigma, was no longer a significant predictor of suicidal ideation and behavior. That is shocking. Parents, you have to understand this. In fact, three meta-analytical studies indicate The strength of the relationship of stigma to mental health is significant but small, with minority stresses directly explaining less than 9% of the relationship. In fact, Mayer and McHugh's 2016 comprehensive review of the scientific literature on sexuality and gender concluded, quote, It is impossible to prove through these studies that stigma leads to poor mental health as opposed to, for example... Poor mental health leading people to report higher levels of stigma, or a third factor being responsible for both poor mental health and higher level of stigma.
2: Can I stop you there, George, just to explain this? So, by by stigma, we mean that individual who identifies with a non biological gender, who somehow uh, feels marginalized. And uh, we often hear that because of that feeling of marginalization and lack of support in, in civilization and society, that they become mentally distressed, which leads ultimately to suicide. But if I'm correct, what you're saying is these reports don't show that whatsoever.
1: They don't show. And, and in fact, this last quote that I read in just less you know, technical terms, think of it as the chicken and the egg argument. Mm. Is it the poor mental health that's leading To that individual thinking they are being stigmatized? (laughs) Or or is it truly the stigma of the surrounding population that's causing the individual to have poor mental health?
2: Seems to be the former, according to this report.
1: Exactly, exactly. Um, And so this minority stress model, in fact, as recently as 2020, being being reported in a study by Michael Bailey, uh, the minority stress model has not yet advanced from the accumulating empirical association stage of empirical inquiry to the eliminating rival hypotheses stage.
2: Big words there.
1: Big words there, but again, think of it in terms of the chicken or the egg argument. All right, so there is no evidence. In fact, in in Netherlands, from 1972 to 2017, all right, so over almost half a century, um, in Netherlands, increasing cultural acceptance – has made little to no difference in suicide rates among gender dysphoric patients seen by the nation's primary gender identity clinics, suggesting stigma is not a sufficient explanation for suicide. So, Mark, then where do we go from here? What is the explanation? If this minority stress model is not the, the, the explanation, if stigma is not the explanation, um, There is something that was very revealing and telling and shocking, and people don't talk about it these days, and that is the intimate partner violence as a significant cause of LGBTQ suicide. Wow.
2: Wow. Uh, That's a say what moment. So the violence being committed by uh, non-heterosexual partners is a leading cause of mental distress and, and ultimately suicide from what this report is suggesting.
1: So, in fact, Dr. Van Moll presented some very startling statistics. On the next page, we'll see a 2014 Australian study found that a leading reason for suicide among LGBTI individuals was stress from romantic partners rather than societal rejection. In fact, the CDC here in the United States in 2010 Their findings from its ongoing National Intimate Partner and Sexual Violence Survey stated that sexual minorities experience intimate partner violence at rates equal to or greater than non-sexual minorities. Why is that the case? Why is it that these people within their own sexual minority community are doing this stuff to each other? Because they're not dating some heterosexual guy, right? Right. Correct. They're dating their other non-binary friend, uh, or, or their furry friend or who, whoever else they might be. We don't know, but it's not the heterosexual people, uh, that are causing that. And, and, and I don't mean to, to laugh or denigrate this community, uh, but this is what their own studies are showing. In fact, in 2013, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services prevention grant stating, quote, domestic intimate partner violence is a significant health problem among LGBTQ populations. Why is that? Well, Mark, you explained already in our last episode on wokeism that it's a mind virus. It's all about you being the idol. And so in a sexual relationship, right, if it's all about you, of course, you're going to want to have your own self-gratification and all of that, which will lead to what we are seeing here in these studies, that it is fact this, this intimate sexual violence that's happening within their own communities.
2: Now, it's unfortunate, George, that it takes an organization like POK and this special conference of uh, Christian doctors and dentists to bring this evidence forward because I have never heard this evidence on mainstream media. I mean, this is something that if you're interested, you're going to have to go out and try to search and find because it is not being reported. Uh, You state here that in 2004, with a $50,000 grant from the Blue Shield of California Foundation, the Gay and Lesbian Medical Association launched the, quote, LGBT Relationship Violence Project to educate medical professionals about LGBT domestic violence. Violence. So at least insurance companies are now having to step up to the reality of what's happening here.
1: But what's shocking, Mark, is this is twenty years ago.
2: Yeah, two thousand four.
1: Incredible. And they are funding. This is this is the the gay and lesbian medical association right uh, th- this is you know basically trying to emulate the christian medical and dental association right so they are seeing this within their own community mm. and they're saying we have a problem here we have to do something about it and yeah. they're getting one of their their you know sponsors uh, the blue shield of california foundation to to fork up $50,000 to help with this communication campaign within their own communities to say hey guys we have to stop violating each other yeah i mean this is this is absolutely atrocious and ridiculous and and so this is some of the most shocking evidence not from our side like this wasn't done by dr andre van Moll. all right we didn't get the christian medical and dental association to fork up fifty thousand dollars to have a biased you know christian doctor perform a biased study this is reading their own studies it's just absolutely uh, amazing to see finally this evidence being presented and come to
2: light. But George, what about the, the diagnosis of gender dysphoria? You've got some details around that. So to, to wrap it up here for this part one, we, we wanted to also
1: focus on something that, that I think Dr. Andre Van Moel really helped me to um, to articulate. He says gender dys- dysphoria is a diagnosis. It's a psychosocial neurodevelopmental issue, and we have known this all along. It's a mental health issue, um, and it's an adverse childhood experience. It's autism spectrum disorder and family issues. Over and over and over, any child with gender dysphoria will exhibit these four things, mental health issue, Adverse childhood experience, autism spectrum disorder, and family issue. And so what's happening is what are doctors treating? Are they treating the underlying symptoms, meaning one of these four? Mm-hmm. Or are they just treating the symptom itself of you know suicidal ideation or, or other things that, that are happening, right? And they're automatically going on this, this journey of, of, of affirmative care, of gender-affirming care – without solving the underlying four problems. Um, and so over and over and over, um, Dr. Van Mol really pointed this out. And this distress within one's sexed body, a gender dysphoric youth experiences a sense of incongruity between the gender expectations linked to her or his biological sex and her or his biological sex itself. Now, th- this term is fading, and it's being replaced for political purposes by gender incongruence or gender anxiety. Oh
2: boy. And so, so we, they're further neutering what language means. Exactly. It used to be a mental health issue and then it went to gender dysphoria. Now it's gender incongruence and gender anxiety. Exactly. And so Incredible. parents
1: understand the difference between gender dysphoria and then what Mark pointed out as an ideology at the beginning of this podcast, transgenderism—that ism—it's an overarching ideology. And Dr. Ken Zucker, the term transgender identity is hardly an objective label for a child's gendered subjectivity. Uh, in fact, that the DSM five of the APA they um, is being quoted here because up until DSM four, uh, gender dysphoria was treated as a mental illness uh, in the United States. But that all changed by changing the, this whole terminology to gender incongruence. And, and so transgender identity is not isomorphic with a mental health diagnosis of gender dysphoria. Uh, that's also very Im- important to note here. In fact, in the DSM-5 itself, um, The prevalence uh, statistics show that for natal adult males, prevalence ranges from 0.005% to 0.014%, and for natal females, 0.002% to 0.003%. That's
2: astonishingly small. It is super small. That that is incredible. But surveys now say the 2% of use claim that they may be trans. Something changed, and it wasn't biology or genetics. And and then even the desistance,
1: uh percentage, right? Uh, we see pre-DSM five uh, that the, the desistence in you know in just if you let this watchful waiting happen, let children go through their uh, puberty stage and reach adulthood, and by adulthood, over eighty five percent of all of gender dysphoric patients will desist and. Resume to yeah. to to basically their their natural uh, sex, biological sex. So over and over we see this, and this information is is all it's all there. It's all there, but we see that something is playing into all of this, right? And so why do we need to allow for puberty to take place? Well, because the brain development in minors, and we see this. Later on in these notes, Dr. Van Moel points out that children have developing brain. Their minds change often, and they don't grasp long-term consequences. In fact, the frontal lobe, the brain's judgment and inhibition center, does not fully mature until approximately 23 to 25 years of age. And
2: who knows that better than car insurance companies, right, Mark? Yeah, we don't allow, I mean, we're, we're careful about our children crossing the street by themselves, let alone making decisions, lifelong decisions about their gender identity and medical treatment.
1: Exactly. And, and the amygdala, the brain's emotion center, is both immature and not fully connected to the frontal lobe in teens. So emotional thinking can prevail In fact, AAP's Health Day reported in 2017 at the University of Iowa study that kids younger than 14 years old could not reliably cross a busy street safely. And yet universities like University of Iowa come out and say, well, you know what, we have to provide gender affirming care to a child as young as six because uh, they can't cross the road safely even by the time they're 14. But they can cross this deep, deep chasm of gender identity disorder and know that they can cut off their body parts at, by age six. I mean, this is how crazy this is.
2: So we want to stress again that um, what we see happening in our society is ideology based. It is an ism. But the truth is that when children are um, facing gender dysphoric issues or gen- gender, what's now called gender uh, anxiety, uh, as Dr. Mole has pointed out, there is a host of underlying mental health issues going on here. Uh, it doesn't come about in the vacuum.
1: Parents, we highly encourage you. We're going to make these notes available on our website. You can go on our website, techourkidsnow.org And you can also become partners with POK through our Guardian Angel program where you can donate and help us spread this message all across the nation. And in fact, Mark, I'll end it with this note. Every two years, the Christian Medical and Dental Association has an international conference, and that conference is taking place this June 2023 in Tanzania. The president organizing that conference for the the international conference, in fact, came to our booth, read through our material, and asked us if Protect Our Kids can come to Tanzania in June of 2023 to please warn parents in Africa because they are seeing the same exact thing that's being uh, just promulgated by Planned Parenthood in Africa, and they need a POK there. We are doing some amazing work, parents. We want to thank our current generous donors that are, are supporting us from all across the country, but we need to take our message internationally. So parents, you can help us uh, make this a possibility, and you can do that by listening even uh, furthermore to our podcast, but join our Guardian Angels program, and uh, we'll be gladly, Mark and I, to, to join you uh, in supporting
0: Tech Our Kids.
2: We look forward to seeing you next time on Say What?